everybody. Welcome. Page 23 in your notebook. We'll review a little bit quickly, and then we'll move into some new, new material. But on page 23, you have the onion and the peeling back of the onion so that you can get to someone's core of their, their worldview. So we'll see that in a moment. I remind you that this chart is the genius of the material. You have that chart in a number of spots. One of those is on page 7 in your notebook. But we're working entirely in this class with the bottom portion. That top portion is a, is a different class, and we use other materials for, for that. But for that bottom portion, it is the evangelism portion. And that's what we're wanting to learn here, how to be more effective evangelists. That is, people who carry the message, the evangel. That's the, the Greek word euangelion. I told you that in the first, the first week. Uh, the gospel, the good news. So we are God's vehicles to carry that message, and we're trying to become as effective as possible in, in doing that. And so the bottom of that, that chart uh, suggests that you've got these three phases that you go through with someone when you're giving them the gospel. You're tilling, you're planting, and you're, you're reaping. That's in the middle, going upward. You see at the very bottom it says that's our role. And then with regard to their responses, well, that depends on where they are on this chart. The further toward the bottom that they are when you start with them, then the longer it's going to take for you to move them up and to help their, their understanding. But you take that time, Lord willing, the things on the right side of the page, going up from the bottom, happen. Those are God's roles, that He provides conviction in the heart of the person, that they see this is something that, that they need, and then He gives them spiritual life. In the middle there, regeneration, that's what that word means. And when all of that happens, they come to middle of the page, they come to repentance and trusting in, in Christ. So that's what, uh, that's what this course is really all about, how for us to be God's instruments in taking somebody from wherever they are to where they need to go, which brings you then to page 23. And page 23 has got the uh, worldview onion on it, and you want to peel back uh, the, the onion so that you can see where they are on that scale. Now, I tried to do Shrek last week, and I think we're going to show... Shrek successfully. All right, so we got the, all right, come on, give it up. I got the uh, Shrek, Shrek video. Now, having got the Shrek video, I have no earthly idea how I get back up. Look at it, it's got me, it's all this other junk. Plus do what? Right arrow. I did. 
No, now we're gonna see it. Now we're gonna see it twice. The number five and return. All right. End of slideshow. Click to exit. Now. All right. Now we're gonna. We're going to go back to the stupid Shrek thing. I'll never get past it. <laughs> I think if you press the number, it takes you to that slide number. So if you know what slide number you want. You no. No, he didn't. You think if I press a number, just press the number. Yeah, like set? Four. It was four, wasn't it? Uh, that's one, two, three. Then the video was four, yeah. So, so if I press five... Nothing happens. Yeah. Hits the view show. You, he he doesn't want to get involved because PowerPoint is not his thing. Keynote. <laughs> Right. Keynote is this thing because it's an Apple pro Keynote, product. Right? Try that right there. Yeah, that's the. All right, very good. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Yes. So Keynote is an Apple product, and remember, I told you he's part of the Apple cult. Do you guys remember me telling you all that? All right, but thank you. <laughs> all right. So page twenty-three. Here's the onion, and down at the bottom, it starts with uh, someone's core beliefs. And that, you see, the, the line goes right into the middle of the, the onion. But then those core beliefs are based on internalized values and personal choices, behavioral patterns. And those increasingly come from the inside outward. So values are further in toward the core core beliefs, personal choices, and then behavioral patterns are getting toward the, the outside. And then you have just on the very outside of the onion, you have commonalities, things that just because we are fellow uh, human beings made in the image of God, living in the same world, we have some of the same kinds of concerns and interests, and therefore you can use these kinds of things, weather, health, hobbies, local interests, family, all of those to begin uh, conversations. Now, I have here three pages for entry-level conversation openers. So that out por outside portion of the onion, all of those things that we have in common with, with other people, these are ways each one of those categories has some questions that you could use to start a conversation with, uh, with someone. So do you, do you live in the uh, area? Are you from here originally? Did you grow up around here, family in the area? If you're talking about family, are you married? Do you have children? Uh, my, my wife's parents are at the stage where they're dealing with serious health issues. How about your folks? Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, with regard to work, uh, what do you do for work? How long have you worked here? How did you end up with that job? Does it require much travel? Just all kinds of things for you to keep the conversation going. There's hobbies, there's reading, education, travel, religion. Uh, if you're talking to somebody in a hospital waiting room, there's some questions that you could ask, ask there. So it's three pages worth, and I have those over here on the counter. So if you want a copy, they're there for the, the taking, okay? So that's what the peeling the, the worldview onion is, is about. You're trying to find out, a la the scale that is on page 7, you're trying to find out where somebody is. And this is the way you determine where they are, what it is they believe, and therefore, based upon where they are, what they believe, then what it is you need to try to help them to, to understand as you move forward. So if you look on page 24, why do we do this? What's the major objective of doing this? It's determ to determine their worldview, where they are on that scale. And what should you avoid in doing this? You should avoid offensively attacking what it is they believe, attacking their worldview, or unnecessary tense argumentation. 
So you're looking at really three things that you're, you're trying to do. Uh, the first thing you're trying to the first thing you're trying to do is just start the conversation. And that's the outside of the onion. Those are the human commonalities on the outside. And you see different ways for these entry points, but I've got my three pages that you can pick up on the way out. So do that. And then you want to investigate. Once you've started a conversation, uh, perhaps started a relationship that's going to be ongoing, uh, then you want to probe uh, to try to get toward their uh, core beliefs. Uh, so you're asking these investigative questions. And then conversion uh, discussions. That's when you're really getting to uh, the inside of, of, what they, of what they believe. Okay, So that's what the whole onion peeling process is about. We saw last week as well, page 25, that you want to break through then the, the worldview noise by understanding where they are and talking to them appropriately, bringing uh, topics and truth that they need in order to advance up the, up the scale. And so the top, middle, personal preparation, there's four steps here. That's the first one. And then to the right of that in the middle is, the, uh, is number two. You initiate conversation. You take time, number three, the bottom, to invest relationally. And then to the left, number four, uh, patiently uh, proclaiming, proclaiming truth. Everybody good with that? All right, so page 26. And I think this is where we left off, page 26. Am I right? Okay, page 26. And here we're trying to determine where the host culture, that is where, you, where we live here in southeast Michigan, where are people? And this is encouraging us to take now those, those 12 points that are the bottom of that uh, scale that's on uh, page, that's on page um, 7. And these are the three phases of evangelism, tilling at the bottom, planting in the middle, reaping up at the top. And of these 12 then, five of them are related to tilling, three related to planting, four related to to reaping. So they're saying at the top, first let's think of people who are at number four, the number four or minus four level on the scale. So you guys see that, the first blue box there, bluish green box, and it says that they understand some gospel concepts. Got that? And so the, what, what they want us to do here now is determine what gospel-related issues they do not understand at this point. And we were trying to get at that uh, last week together. So gospel concepts that they don't understand at this point. Now, what are these eight gospel concepts? It would have been helpful had they put those on this page, uh, but they didn't, so I'll remind you what they, what they are. The eight are God, man, Sin. So God, man, sin, death, Christ. So the first five of the eight, God, man, sin, death, Christ. But then there's also Christ's life that I added. There's the cross, faith, and then life, spiritual life and eternal life. So God, man, sin, death. Christ, and then Christ's life and the cross, faith, and then lastly, life, spiritual life and e eternal life. So those are the eight, with my addition, that's nine gospel concepts. And with that, up the top, reaping evangelism, if somebody is at minus four, they understand some gospel concepts, then what is it that they, they still need to know about at that point. And it's Christ's, uh, Christ's life and the cross, probably the last four of the nine. So if you look at the nine, some of you were just writing down, Christ's life, cross, faith, life. That's what they still need to know at this point. 
Now, if you go to the middle one, you're at planting, and the person is at minus seven, they realize there's only one true God. What does that person need to know? They need to know all of the stuff above, but they need to know some more things. They need to know about sin and death and Christ. And if someone is at minus 11, they're aware of a higher power or, or powers, then you've got the first two of the nine. You've got God and man that they, they need to know about. So this is reminding us that at each of these levels, there are concepts that the person needs to understand. We want to know where they are so that we can hone in on the things in particular that they need to understand. So look at the box down at the bottom. How much Bible content and context for that content does each unbeliever need in order to make a good soil faith response? So when we talk about uh, Bible content, that is, what does the Bible say about the particular issue? God, man, sin, death, cross, whatever it is. That's Bible content. But then there's also Bible context. Because if you just start in with some content, without giving the person sufficient background, that is context for that content, then it's going to be completely foreign to them. That's the, that's the worldview noise. You guys may remember from several weeks ago, you know, there's you saying it, and then there's how it's received over on the other end. And if context is, is not created, then the person's going to be uncomprehending, even though you're giving them content, what you're telling them is true, they're not going to be understand, understanding it. So you have to think to yourself, you know, what does this person know? Where are they? What kind of background do they have to have, context, in order for them to understand what I mean by God, what I mean by humanity, what I mean by sin, death, and the judgment that death is upon on humanity. So take a look at page 27. And here's what they're asking us to do. With that in mind, that being that there's content and there's context to that content. So that being the case, you want to have a gospel presentation approach that gives the appropriate context, that doesn't just come in at a point that the person has no background for. So they say, top here of page 27, evaluate a gospel presentation that's commonly used by evangelical Christians in your culture. A particular gospel tract, a planned gospel presentation that believers are often trained to use, or any other. So we're, we're going to take a few minutes to do that. And the one that I've got is Evangelism Explosion. Any of you ever heard of Evangelism Explosion? Has anyone heard of Evangelism Explosion? You have? All right. Two? Three? All right. You think you have. You've heard of Evangelism, and you've... <laughs> There's a program called Evangelism Explosion. And if you were asking, really, if, if, if I asked that question 30 years ago, pretty much all of you would know what that is. Really. Uh, evangelism Explosion was started in the 70s by a guy named D. James Kennedy, who's with the Lord now. But he was on television for a lot of years. He, a uh, Presbyterian guy at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Beautiful facility and very formal Presbyterian. He would be on with the robe. Uh, and every time he preached, he talked about politics. <laughs> I, was, I was amazed that his congregation would listen to him talk about politics like every time he, he preached. And he would talk about cultural stuff that was going on. He's a very, very interesting guy. Uh, he's also a Calvinist, 
if any of you know what that means. Uh, it means that you believe that God is in control of everything that happens, including who and how people are going to come to Christ. And sometimes uh, people say, if you believe that the Bible teaches that, and by the way, it does, if you believe that, then you won't be evangelistic because God will just do it without you. Well, none of us believe God does it without us, including D. James Kennedy, who was a dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist, so much so that he developed this evangelism program that went around the world called Evangelism Explosion. And so lots of people used it, lots of churches used it, and overall, you know, it was, it was good as far as, it, as far as it goes. So we'll just take a few minutes to go through it. Just hand out over on this side if you would. Thank you, sir. It's just one page. Yep. Thank you. So this is their short version of their outline for how to give the, the gospel to somebody. I have some more here. Yeah, I've got more here. Yeah. Yeah, so here's what they're saying. They're saying... Uh, th this assumes that someone has visited Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. And now James Kennedy and a couple of other people are going to follow up on that person. And so this introduction uh, talks about the church and their impressions. You see point C there toward the top, their impressions of the church. That's why. They're assuming that the person has attended the church and now they're following up with them. So... You talk about their secular life. You just talk about, you know, how they moved here, you know, how long have you lived in the area, that kind of stuff. Uh, you ask about their spiritual background, what church background have they had. Uh, talk about your church, in their, in their case, Coral Ridge. And, uh, hey, you, what did you think of the church? Uh, give testimony your own or a testimony about, about the church. But then you get to the heart of it. You get to these diagnostic questions. Have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? Or is that something you're still working on? Secondly, suppose you were to die today, stand before God, He were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? So you're prompting the person to think about these spiritual matters. And then here's the, the gospel presentation. Uh, you deal with grace, you deal with humanity, you deal with God, Christ, and faith. Grace means that it's a, it's a gift. It's not something that you work for and earn. Humanity is sinful, therefore cannot save himself. God is merciful, but he is also just, and so he must punish sin. Christ, he is God, become man, and what he did was die on the cross rose from the dead to pay our penalty, purchase a place in heaven for us, and he offers it. Faith is not just intellectual assent. Yes, I believe there was a guy named Jesus who was executed. That's assent, mental assent, but rather it's trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. And having explained that, you ask if they want to make that uh, commitment. Do you understand this? Would you like to receive and then a prayer of commitment, assure them that they're saved, welcome them into the family of God, uh, encourage them to attend, continue attending church, but get involved in these spiritual uh, disciplines. The appointment for church just means, hey, I'll meet you at the front door. You've come once, but we want to make sure you're comfortable coming back, and so I'll see you at the time service starts, okay? So that's, I mean, that's the idea. Now, they've got that in. I have on my shelf the Evangelism Explosion training book. And this is the third edition. You see at the top there that this is from the fourth edition. But the truth is that portion at least has not changed. Um, 
they have a longer version of this, an extended presentation. It's all of that outline, but now extended. And I'm not going to read the whole extended thing for you, but as I read it, you'll get an idea of how old this is. All right? Because you talk about the uh, first thing you see at the top there is their secular life. So it starts out, you knock at the door. Good morning, Mrs. Tucker. I'm Dr. Kennedy from Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. May we come in and visit with you for a while? And she says, why, hello, please do come in. That would... <laughs> right? <laughs> Thank you. This is Mary Smith, George Simon from our church. We were happy to have you visit with us. Wanted to become better acquainted with you. That's real nice of you. May we sit over here? Fine. Thank you. This is a lovely home you have. That painting is most interesting. It seems to radiate peacefulness and contentment. Did you paint it yourself? Oh, no, a friend did it for me. Just before we moved here, we've enjoyed it. Where did you move from, Mrs. Tucker? Virginia. Virginia, I thought I noticed a bit of a Virginia accent. <laughs> and then he goes on about the, the Virginia accent, and it goes kind of on like that. But bottom line is, it's all moving down here to give those central five gospel uh, concepts to the person and to have them, uh, Lord willing, make a commitment right there in that visit. And lots of people, many, 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 many people did over the years. And many of those people actually did come to Christ and they, uh, and they uh, carried on in, in growing in Christ. Uh, so it is a way to do that. But look at page 27 then in your notebook. You've got the three levels of tilling, planting, and reaping. And let's suppose you're at the bottom level, you're, you're tilling. Down at the bottom of page 27, and reflect on evangelism with unbelievers at that tilling level. How well does this gospel presentation address the gospel knowledge deficiencies of an unbeliever at that level? What would you say to that? How well does that do that? I would, I would suggest to you that this works best in an environment where people already have some background. And in fact, as you read through that extended conversation, it turns out when they moved from Virginia, she had been involved in her church in, in Virginia, pretty heavily involved in her church. Now, she wasn't a Christian. You know, you can be in church and you can be a member of a church and not be a Christian. And so she didn't really understand what it means to be born again and to have the work of Christ applied to her life. And so... So that was explained to her. But she's got that, that kind of background. What essential gospel-related knowledge is assumed in this presentation? And there's, there's a good bit. You, know, you can just sort of jump in uh, with some of those concepts. How much backfilling would be necessary? This is another way of asking how much gospel, essential gospel-related knowledge is being assumed. And so the idea, the disclaimer down at the bottom there is not to... You know, dis evangelism explosion. God used that for decades uh, in the lives of lots of people. But just to show that it is very easy to assume a lot. And at the time that that was written in America, in the 70s, even into the 80s, lots of people had some gospel content, and especially down in Florida and down in the Bible Belt and, and all of that. But here we are in 2023 in Southeast Michigan, and you can't quite assume all of, all of that. And so that's true for evangelism explosion. It's true for some other things as, as well. So let's see if I can uh, get there. Because i got another video. And Pastor Larry has abandoned us. He's like, fine, you want to be that way? I know, look, it's all messed up. Okay, all right, what's going to happen here? I am writing to you, dear Theophilus, an orderly account of the things that have taken place among us, so that you may know the absolute truth about you. All right, so we're going to continue. I'm just all excited that it came up. <laughs> but what this is, is the uh, Jesus film. And this was put together a few decades ago as an evangelistic tool. And the idea is to just have pictorial representation of readings in the Gospels. 
about Jesus. So the Jesus film. And for people to learn about then Jesus, some of what he taught, some of what he did. So that one you just heard starts out, I'm writing these things to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might have an orderly account of all that Jesus... Okay, that is Luke. That's the very beginning of the Gospel of, of Luke. So page 28 in your notes, as we show this, as you listen to it, look at the green portion there toward the top. List several facts that Luke assumes the viewer knows. As you watch the Jesus film, it's about 12, 12 minutes long. So as you're listening, just jot down some things that this thing assumes somebody knows uh, as, they, as they hear the Gospel of Luke read to them. Oh, we're, we're, we're totally lost now. Hey. I'm Henry. No, uh, you, Marcy. Door. All right. So, what did Larry say to do? You know, like, uh, click on that. It's got like the little this guy right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start it. Then hit this arrow. Joseph went to the town of Bethlehem in Judea to register with Mary to whom he was engaged. But there was no room for them in Bethlehem, and the only lodging they could find was a humble stable. shepherds in that part of the country who were taking care of their flock at night. Suddenly, an angel of God appeared to them, and the glory of God shone upon them. This very day in David's town, your Savior was born. He is Christ the Lord. Shepherds hurried to see the newborn babe in a manger and were the first to spread the good news or gospel of the Savior's birth. 
week later, when the time came for the baby to be circumcised, he was given the name Jesus. Joseph and Mary took the child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. In the temple, there was a good and devout man named Simeon. The Holy Spirit had promised him that he would not die until he had seen the Christ. Oh, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your salvation. This child is chosen by God. May the Lord be blessed. They completed their duties according to the religious law. Then, sometime later, they returned to their home in Nazareth. When Jesus was 12 years old, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. But when they started back home, thinking that the boy was with them, Jesus stayed behind. They returned to the city to look for him, and three days later they found him in the temple, sitting with the Jewish religious teachers. Whose child is this who asks such questions? He's from Nazareth. We thought he left with us. Please forgive his evilness. All who heard him were amazed. Father, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been terribly worried trying to find you. Why did you have to look for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And he came with them to Nazareth and increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and with man. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was the ruler of Galilee, and Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Elizabeth, and he went through all the country along the Jordan River, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Turn away from your sins, and be baptized, and God will forgive your sins, as it is written. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, someone is shouting in the desert, get the road ready for the Lord, a straight path for him to travel. Every valley must be filled up, every hill and mountain leveled up. The winding roads must be made straight, and the rough What shall we do? Don't collect more than is legal. And what about us? What are we to do? Don't take me. You guys good? Okay. I won't have a riot if I don't show the last, the last bit. So the idea was to write down things that you heard that wouldn't automatically be known by somebody watching it. Now, I was standing at the back, which meant in the last few rows I could see people with their 
their books and what they wrote down. Chris wrote down nothing. <laughs> Lori wrote down nothing. She wrote down one thing, one thing. I've got like 30 things here that somebody, okay, so, so just as they're going through this, all right, I mean, it starts out with Theophilus, so who's that? Uh, it mentions Caesar, Herod, Caiaphas, Annas, uh, the Holy Spirit as well, uh, the baby within Elizabeth, her cousin, jumps for joy well who is who is that what's special about what's special about her um, Bethlehem is mentioned Joseph couple of angels the first angel scares me did it kind of scared me the, the one that appeared to uh, Mary but anyway and you know when people think about angels like what do they what do they think of you know angels in the outfield um, uh, what's his name Clarence on It's a Wonderful Life, right? So we, we know, if you know the Bible, if you've read some of the Bible, then you think of an angel, then you, know, you think of what the Bible says about that, but others may not. Jesus goes to the temple. Okay, what is that? At age 12, his parents take him to celebrate <coughs> Passover. What is that? Tiberius. You show people being baptized, baptism. What is What is baptism? Uh, Jesus mentions Isaiah, the prophet. So who's Isaiah and what's a prophet <clears throat> as well? So you could, go, you could go on. And so that's the kind of thing you want to think about. You want to train yourself to be sensitive to, I'm using this Christianese and I'm using these biblical words and concepts. But how much is assumed that the person knows uh, and in fact they, they really don't know? So here is the guy who was the international director uh, for the Jesus Film Project. And he says, uh, we first, I'm going to quote some of what he says about the, how well this worked. He says, in 1989, we decided to focus on Bulgaria. We were going to win Bulgaria for Christ. The Jesus Film was shown in every theater. Hundreds of thousands of people made decisions for Christ. Hundreds of thousands. He says, then the following year, 1990, our focus was Thailand. We focused on measured results. If you exposed X many people to the gospel, you'd win Y number of people. Lots of people received Christ. Somewhere along the way, the number of people we exposed to the gospel exceeded the number of people in the human race. <laughs> so we weren't counting properly. <laughs> somehow. The following year, uh, he says, I went back to Bulgaria and I talked to the head of the church in Bulgaria. He told me that there was no discernible growth to the church in Bulgaria. We had hundreds of thousands of decisions. What happened? I went back to Thailand and I looked for the churches in Thailand and the believers and it was difficult to find them. For a time, I measured missional effectiveness by decisions, but not anymore. So you can see that you can have somebody watch something, listen to a presentation, say, hey, would you like to have eternal life at the end? And who says, nah, I don't want eternal life. And so here's what you do. You can get lots of decisions, but that doesn't mean they really know who Jesus is that they really know to whom they are committing and what, and what that means. And perhaps you've said a lot of things that went way over their, their head, and so, they, and so they don't understand. Take a look at page 29. You see on pages 29 and 30, you have the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, and it goes... Um, all the way to the, the next page, the entire chapter of 51 verses, pages 29 and 30. We're not going to read through all of this, 
But just right at the very at the very start, in the beginning, was the word. Well, those first three words, if you know a little bit about the Bible, those three words sound familiar to you. Because they're the first three words of the Bible. So here they're the first three words of the Gospel of John, but they're also the first three words of the Bible itself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is now writing millennia later, and he's purposely using those same words to remind people of the beginning, the real beginning, the absolute beginning, when all there was was God. In the beginning, God created. But at that time, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, was the Word. That's what John wants you to get. But you see, you've got to have some background to get that. The very first line in the Gospel of John, you're not going to get if you haven't had some previous, some previous Bible. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then if you'll look down at, uh, if you look on the, the right side of page 29, Well, the very bottom of the left side, where it's verse 15, and it says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying. Now, John bore witness of him. Who's John? Right? Now, John, this is, we're talking about John the Baptist now. But we're talking about John the Baptist in the Gospel of John, who's a different John. I mean, the poor soul that you're trying to witness to is completely lost. But we're talking now about John the Baptist. John the Baptist bore witness of him and cried out, saying, he, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, now, the only begotten son. You know, when you, when you hear son or daughter, you hear child, which, which for most of us means that you had a time where you came into existence. So that can easily suggest to the person who's, who's hearing that that there was a time where this one, Jesus Christ, came into existence. He's a son, he's a child. And he's begotten as well. He is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared, he has declared him. And if you go reading on through, you're going to have you know, some more of that, just like in the Jesus film. You're going to have, when you come to your New Testament, a number of things that are assumed that people know. And if they're not explained to them, they can be completely lost. Look at page 31. So, with that in mind, where did Jesus begin? And you have here Luke chapter 24. And Luke 24 is the last chapter in the uh, Gospel of Luke. So Luke, that was being quoted on the Jesus film, has 24 chapters to it. This is the last one. And it is then after Jesus has accomplished his work. He has come to earth, he has taught, he has healed, he has shown himself to be the coming one promised in the first part of the Bible. He's shown himself to be that one, the Messiah, the Christ. And he has died on the cross for the sins of his people. He is raised from the dead. By the time you come to chapter 24, all that's been done. He is risen. And in fact, if you read this account on the first uh, upper portion of page 31, you'll see that he comes to these two followers who knew about him, but they don't recognize him immediately. And so he tells them what's happened and the significance of what's happened. And the fact that it's all centered on him, I'm the guy. That's what he's doing here. Now, with all of that, look at 
the right side of the page, just under the map. You see the map there, Jericho, Jerusalem, Emmaus. Verse 25, you see it right in the middle there of that? It says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now let's just stop there for a second. <laughs> so here you are, these two, two guys. They're walking along. The road to Emmaus, that's why you've got a map there, Luke tells us. They're going along. Jesus shows up. After he's risen, he says, so, hey, what's going on? Oh, man, it's been horrible. You know, the, the Messiah was killed in Jerusalem, you know, and Jesus said, tell me, really? <laughs> and then he opens their minds so that they recognize who he is. And they, uh, but Jesus says, you should have known you should have known what the prophets said about this. The prophets. Now that would be the first part of the Bible. And he says here, Ought not the one promised by the prophets, the Christ, the anointed one, that's what Christ means, the anointed one, to have suffered and entered into his glory. Those two things, suffering and glory. So think about what you know about the first part of your Bible. Where would you have read about the suffering of the one who's to come? So that's, that's, a, that's a major place, what Terry just said, in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is you know, the, the passage where Isaiah the prophet is predicting the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, and he says there, all of these famous passages, if you've ever seen Handel's Messiah or heard Handel's Messiah, it's, it's really singing through the prophet Isaiah, including chapter 53. And we all like sheep have wandered. We have all gone our own, turned our own way. And it says that the Lord was pleased to lay on him the iniquity of us all. It was, and it pleased the Lord to crush him it says, for our transgressions and for our iniquities. So Isaiah 53 is all about this suffering and death that the coming one is going to, is going to experience. So yeah, and they, these guys had that available. There is, there is this very plain teaching in the first part of the Bible that the one who will come is going to, to suffer and die. But notice Jesus says this too. He says, Ought he not to have suffered and enter into his glory? So you not only have passages like Isaiah 53 that talk about suffering and death of the one who would come, but you have lots of passages that say this one who is going to come is going to be a king and he's going to reign. So the prophets that, who said these things who were, who were given this message from God, wrote it down for us, they found themselves confused sometimes. Oh, wait a minute, how's this going to happen? I mean, on the one hand, Isaiah says he's going to die. On the other hand, this same Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11, for example, says he is going to come and he's going to reign as the king. And then the other prophets say, that. well, how, you, how do you got both of those? But Jesus is saying, look, if God said it, it's going to happen. If God said he's going to suffer and die, he's going to suffer and die. And if God said he's going to reign, then he's also going to reign. So something probably needs to happen in between. That would be a resurrection from the dead. And that's why I'm walking with you guys right now, Jesus is saying. So then verse 27, beginning at Moses. And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Notice where he began, beginning at Moses. Now, there's no book called Moses. But the first five books of your Bible were written by, guess who? Moses. So, 
beginning at the beginning, <laughs> he expounded these things concerning himself and then going through the, the prophets. So let's just think for a few minutes. What did Moses say in those first five books about this coming one? That Jesus would then say, you've seen this happen now in my life and in my experience. Well, the third, the third chapter of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Remember, after the first man and the first woman have sinned by eating from the tree God told them not to eat from, they sin, God is now pronouncing punishments upon the man, upon the woman, upon the serpent. And God says to the serpent, that I am going to, Genesis 3 and verse 15, Genesis 3, 15, I am going to put enmity between your seed, seed of the serpent, Satan, and her seed, the seed of the woman. And you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. You guys remember that? This is at the very beginning of the, the Bible. That the answer, the solution to this problem of sin is going to come through a human being, the seed of a woman, of the woman. Well, Jesus undoubtedly said, let's go back to Moses, remember? There's going to be one who's going to come through the human race, and here I am. And then what else would he have said to Moses? Well, you know, you come to chapter uh, 12, and God calls a man named Abram. And he says, Abram, in your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And so the seed of the woman, and now this seed is going to come through a particular man and his lineage, a guy named Abraham. And Jesus is going to remind these guys. And so you remember over and over now, the Bible says, I am God, the father of Abraham. And then who comes next? Isaac and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel because Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Jesus is reminding these guys of all this, I assume. And then he moves forward in, you know, to, in Moses still. Hey, do you remember there was a sacrificial system? And animals were offered for sin? But animals can't take away sin? And that's why I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, the world. But this all pointed toward me. That whole sacrificial system pointed toward me. And then we bring, you know, David comes along. And David is the king, but I told David, God told David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that the kingship of David is going to continue forever. There's going to be one who's going to come and sit on David's throne forever. So I am the, the sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but I'm also the promised king as well. And then, you know, the prophets are talking about him regathering his people at some point in the future. And I'm going to do that as well. I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to come back. And all of this that has been promised about me is all going to be fulfilled in me. You can just go on. Actually, I'd like to go on, except we only have a minute left. Okay. But Jesus started at the beginning. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he showed them what was said about, about himself. So, if you look at page 32, we are going to pick up next week looking at how that happens, how we take biblical theology, that is just progressively going through what God has revealed and seeing how the story unfolds so that we don't assume people know stuff that they don't know. And you will next week, finally, get your cute little book, okay? <laughs> So you get your second notebook next week, and we will begin to go through the storyline of the Bible, starting with Moses, through the prophets, into the New Testament. Okay? All right. See you next week, Lord willing.